0: Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God as people and as purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Um... I thank you guys. You guys have been huge. So I'm, 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 I think I know most of you guys. My name is JD. I am from California, Northern California. It's very different than Southern California. I did not grow up on the beach. I've only surfed once. Uh, I grew up in the mountains. But I'm here on an internship with the gate, serving you guys, and you guys have been enormous for me in my life. You've impacted me. You've given me opportunities to get up and to preach And to speak and to grow. And I've been stretched. The Lord has stretched me. But in that stretching, there's growth. And in that stretching, there is um, glory to the story that's not my story, but it's Jesus' story through me. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. So if you guys have Bibles, either hard copy Bibles or phones, pull up Matthew 6. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13. And in your Bibles, you may see a little title above chapter 5, and it says, The Lord's Prayer. This is added in later, but we'll read it, and then we'll pray. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I cannot preach a sermon on prayer without first praying, so I'm gonna ask you guys one more time to pray with me, all right? Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather in your son's name, Lord, that we are all bought and redeemed. Through the blood of Jesus Christ Lord and I pray that this morning your kingdom and your glory would be exalted in our lives Lord personally and collectively as the gate church international Lord Lord I pray for myself Lord I pray that you'd overlook my inadequacies as a human being Lord my inadequacies as um, as a new teacher Lord and I pray that you would be glorified Jesus in it all in your name Jesus we pray amen So up until this point in Matthew 6, as we've been going through this Mind the Gap series, Jesus had taken his disciples, and he had taken them up on this mountain. And we're still in the thick of the Sermon on the Mount. This is still going on, right? So his disciples are now up on a mountain with Jesus, and he is teaching, Jesus is teaching his disciples on what this righteous living is, what this, I'm going to say, real religion is, what this real worship is. And I say real because these guys, these disciples, have been growing up there in Israel or these Jewish men, and they had grown up around this other than this fake religion, this fake worship. And this fake worship, we see a lot, and it talks a lot about hypocrites, right? Even into the context leading up into it. Um, even if we, verse 1 of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen like them, like the hypocrites. He doesn't say that there. But He's talking about hypocrites, right? So he's kind of comparing and contrasting these things, right? So he's been going through this series on what it is, what real worship is, what real religion is. And it kind of contradicts everything that we naturally feel as human beings, right? So he's talking about retaliation, how we naturally, we want to get back at people who wrong us. Or he's talking about loving our enemies, that's what Ian taught on last week. It's not naturally inside of us as human beings that when someone wrongs us or when we have an enemy that we want to choose to love them. No, naturally, we want to choose to hate them. That's our natural response. But Jesus keeps talking about these things. He's talking about um, lust and anger. He's saying, hey, you have these natural inclinations that you want to do, but in my kingdom, real religion, real worship, real righteousness, it's not a facade, It's not this exterior thing in what you go through and people think you are this. It's the real deal. And so if we have our kingdom, right, kingdom of humankind, and then there's God's kingdom, right? And I've heard this God's kingdom and through our eyes as human beings. I've heard God's kingdom referred us to the upside-down kingdom, right? It's nothing to do with stranger things. It's like the upside-down kingdom, meaning it's the opposite of our fleshly inclinations, right? So in the upside-down kingdom, God is glorified in everything that we do, right? Because in the upside-down kingdom, it's all about God's glory. In our kingdom of self, in our kingdom of one, it's about our glory. It's about my story. It's about where I can get. So Jesus is continuing on teaching these things. He's teaching through these things. And naturally, Jesus knows his disciples, and he knows us. And he knows that we're going to need help because he knows that we can't live according to the upside-down kingdom, on our own, right? And so he, in speaking about this real worship, gets into real prayer. And he contrasts fake prayer, fake prayer being what the Pharisees and the Sadducees would did, and they get all dressed up, right? And it's saying in verse, um, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others right they were doing these things to appear religious they were doing these things to appear like they had it all together like they were holier than thou like they knew what they're talking about and they had this ranking right this religious ranking had nothing to do with true religion had nothing to do with true prayer so jesus is addressing this and this is where we're going to dive into the text of the lord's prayer so verse 9 at the end of well the start of verse 9 it says pray then like this. Jesus knew his disciples were going to need help. He knew that they needed help before they can even ask for help. He knew that they needed help in asking for help. He knew that even in praying to God, they needed help on what to communicate to God because he knew that they were flawed human beings whose hearts would even deceive themselves. And even in worship, trying to worship God, they knew that they could actually sin, right? So Jesus kind of lays out this Lord's Prayer, and it's not so much... And what to pray, what to pray line by line. It's more of a how to pray, right? It's more of a model, it's more of a template, if you will, okay? So here we go. Our Father in Heaven. Four words to remind us of our unmerited, totally undeserved position with the Maker of the universe, our identity. And Jesus starts this prayer with our Father, and he kind of goes in this interesting order, where he starts with our Father, and he kind of, we're going to walk through this, but he acknowledges and he glorifies the name of God, and then he submits to the plans of God and to the authority of God with that knowledge of the glorification of God. Then he submits, and then he requests our needs, right? So this is the first bit. And why is it important that he said our Father? Well, these four words remind us that our Father the maker of the universe, the maker of heaven, he actually wants to hear from us, right? And prayer is this thing where the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would use this as a sort of something to be seen as, some sort of like power status, right? And they'd want to be seen and they want to do this. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't do that. He's saying when you pray, don't do it for the attention, but go to your dad and have a conversation with your dad, right? The maker of heaven and earth. These four words not only say who our identity is in Christ, as we have now have a father, but it's also magnifying the name of God, our father in heaven. Right? It's not like our fleshly dads. It's not like our earthly dads. In a room this big, there has to be broken relationships with, between father and son. Right? And we as sons and we as daughters have, may have been failed by our earthly fathers. But this is stating no, our dad is in heaven. Right? And he's perfect. Right? So we can request these things, we can start our prayer, we can start this letter, if you will, with our prayer to a perfect heavenly father who loves his children and wants to hear from his children. Then he goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Or NIV says, father, let your name be made holy. Or it could mean glory to your name. So just as praying to our father, it shifts our perspectives, right? It shifts our our perspective of our earthly identity to our heavenly identity, saying our Father. This also shifts our perspective of giving all the glory that we naturally want to put on ourselves, that we don't even really know that we want to do, but we naturally want the attention. We naturally want this. This is saying, no, I'm gonna glorify the name of God, right? Hallowed be your name, glory to your name, right? So we have the first line, our Father, we're fixing our eyes on on the Father God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? We're giving glory to the name. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Mount. This is how you start your prayers. This is what the model is to look like. And there is a specific order in which he's doing this. Here we petition that everything else, everything else in our lives, no matter what, the main thing that God would be glorified, right? Right? In the first two lines of this prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are acknowledging who God is, and we're glorifying the name of God. We're putting the eyes off of ourselves and off of our glory and off of our problems, even, and we're putting them back onto the Father in his glory. And acknowledging and glorifying who he is, our hearts become tuned and become postured to receive. What's next? right? And what's next is submission right, to the Father's plan, to the Father's will. And you can't, I don't know if you guys have ever heard a guitar that's out of tune, and you're trying to play a guitar that's out of tune, and it just sounds horrible, right? And it's distracting. And you have to, first, there has to be a certain amount of hertz. There's a a specific A440 is what we use today. And that's a specific hertz, like the decibels, which we tune our instruments to, And then we play them. But they have to be tuned. They have to be in the right posture first before we play them, before the guitar submits to what we want it to play. Right? So, your kingdom come. Verse 10. As an American, the concept of a kingdom is pretty literally foreign to me. Right? I did not grow up in a monarchy. We actually have a holiday that celebrates uh, leaving the monarchy. (laughs) Nothing personal. But it's in our human nature and it's in human nations to glorify and exalt their own kingdoms, right? We want to wave our banner. We want to wave our flag. We want to have pride, and we want to take heart into something, right? This petition is another perspective shift, though, because it shifts our eye off of our kingdom, our wills to be done, our glory to be had, and it puts the perspective back to the glory thing of God's kingdom, Right? And here he's talking about his kingdom coming down to earth. And Jesus was very clear about this. The Father, his plan was very clear about this. And are we living our lives in preparation for that kingdom? Are we preparing ourselves? Do our actions, does the fruit of our lives actually look like it's living and putting our treasure up into a different kingdom? Or is it looking like it's just all here, right? naturally, I want to lay up treasures here on earth. Naturally, I want to create an IRA and get retirement. And naturally, I want to have a bunch of instruments. And naturally, I want to have these things. But at some point, they stop being for the glory of God and start being for the glory of myself, right? And all of those things, moth and rust will destroy, but he whoever lays uh, treasures up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, right? He's talking about his kingdom, and this petition, like I said, it's another perspective shift. So we have our Father in heaven, we have acknowledged and we have glorified God, and we have acknowledged his kingdom, right? And now for the kicker: it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm looking around the demographic of this room, and I'm not at all limiting the struggle of God's will just to one specific age group. But I can only speak as a 26 year old, and I know there's a lot of young adults here, right? So I know growing up, the subject of God's will was one of the most confusing and one of the most frustrating things in my entire life, right? Because I did desire to do God's will, but I always got so confused on what that actually was. And when it was becoming more and more clear to me, it was more and more clear that I didn't want to do it because it means I had to die to myself, right? Your will be done. What is God's will? Well, if we go back, we can see that God's will is that God's name would be glorified, right? And God's will is to be glorified in our lives, through our lives, and everything that we do, God would receive glory, right? Yes, this does involve dying to ourselves because we want the show as well, right? We want to receive some of that glory. It's in our natural state, right? We are created to worship something, and when we, don't have, when we don't know God, we will worship ourselves, right? So in submitting to ourselves, we submit to ourselves to God's will. And it's a scary concept because we think that God, if we have a skewed concept of God, if we have a skewed concept of what a, a heavenly father should be like, we think that God's going to take away everything and make our lives miserable, and that we'll be heavenly drones slaving away and absolutely being miserable through life. But that's not the case, right? Because we know that the Father has the best thing for us. And the Father's will, God's will, is the best thing. But what I found in my life is I have, I've had, and I still have, a lot of good things that I like to hold on to. But when it's time for God to give me the best thing, I have to get rid of that good thing in order to receive the best thing. And getting rid of the good thing can be really, really hard. Getting rid of the good thing could be letting go of a Relationship. Getting rid of the good thing could be letting go of a job opportunity. Getting rid of a good thing could be letting a dream die. And if you're a dreamer like me, that is horrible. And it took years, right? But if you don't let go of the good thing that the Father is asking you to let go, if you're not letting go and submitting yourself to the will of the Father, trusting that he is your Father in heaven who wants the best for you, he can't give you the best thing until you let go of the good thing, right? And so... It's the knowledge of who we are in God, who God is, that we submit ourselves to the will of the Father. So following our acknowledgement of who God is and glorifying his holiness, we have now, in the prayer, we have now submitted ourselves to his authority and his plan for our lives, knowing that he wants the best for us, knowing that he is good, knowing that he does not want to harm us, but he wants to prosper us. That is his plans for us, right? We have to trust him, and we walk in those things, right? So it's important to remember all of those things, where we have submitted ourselves to, who we have submitted ourselves to, and the glory of whom we have submitted ourselves to. It's important to remember these things before the next petitions that we're going to read into. The next petition is, give us this day our daily bread. So it's only after we acknowledge like I said at the beginning, it's only after we acknowledge and glorify who God is. It's only after we submit ourselves to that God, to our God, that Jesus now goes into now. After first praying for the glory of God to be made whole in your life, after first praying for his kingdom, after first submitting yourself, then you request, right? And the reason that Jesus did this, I believe, is because it's perspective, the things that we think we need, how many times do we think we need something, but then when we kind of step back or time goes by, we realize that we don't need it or we've actually bought it and we never use it at all, right? So the, the reason that I believe that Jesus is starting with acknowledging and glorifying God and then submitting yourselves is because that puts us in the right perspective, right? That gets us, if you will, our heavenly spectacles on, and we see all of a sudden that we do not have the needs that we thought we needed. But Jesus is hes not saying, don't ask ever for anything at all. No, he's being very clear here. This is the Lord's Prayer, if you will. He's also, it's, it's a spiritual aspect, but he's also saying, give us this day our daily bread. It's a very practical thing, right? Listen, our dad knows exactly what we need. Go back to verse 8, if you could. It says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our dad knows exactly what we need. Our dad wants to bless us. Our dad wants to hear us out about the little things, about the big things. He wants to hear about bread, right? Like he wants to hear about the huge things in life, but he wants to have a conversation about the small things. Our heavenly father, the maker, the creator of the universe, wants to hear about the small things, right? Our dad wants for us to always look for and always depend on him for provision, right? He doesn't want us to take assumption. He doesn't want us to just trust in our finances or trust in our bank account. He wants us, even if we have the funds there, he wants us to trust in him, right? And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it, but sometimes when we're getting a little bit too much, relying relying too much on our own selves, God will take something away. And then we kind of wake up and realize, oh, wait, I was really depending on that. That was my functional savior for this season, right? So God wants us to depend on him and just to ask him for the little things, to ask him for those things, and to thank him when we have those things. Another petition. So that's kind of like, that's, that's a request for the, the body, right? Give us our day, a, a practical need, right? Finances, food, shelter. This next request in verse 12 kind of deals with the needs of the soul. Jesus speaking to his disciples on the mount, Right? Beatitudes, still going through it, talking about acknowledging, glorifying God, talking about submitting to the Father's will. Now he's talking about we need to look for him and ask him for things that only he can provide. He knew that his disciples were going to mess up, right? He knew that each of them were going to continue to mess up. And Jesus, God incarnate, knew that we were going to mess up too, right? So the next part is, forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is he's showing us here that even after shifting our eyes off of ourselves and back onto God, even after submitting ourselves to his will for his glory and his kingdom, even with the purest intentions we could possibly have, we're still going to fail, right? And he's so gracious in this. He knows it. And he's just saying, ask. He's just saying, ask for forgiveness because you're going to mess up. But when you ask for forgiveness... Remember who you're praying to. Remember, go back to the beginning. We're praying to our Father. Who is our Father? He's gracious. He's patient. Our Father has such a big heart that he sent his only Son that we may actually even be able to request this thing, forgive us our debts. That's the Father's heart. Not only did he say, hey, just ask for it, he was the means in which it provided, right? He was the means in which we can go forward and we can ask, right? So living for God's glory and kingdom means, yes, we have to ask and we have to receive this grace that we are so dependent on of the blood of Jesus, right, to have our debts forgiven, but it also comes with a sort of responsibility, and it's to show that love. It's to let that love be shown through our lives unto other people, right? It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This upside-down kingdom living, this living in the kingdom for someone other than yourselves, means that we bestow and we show the love that was first shown to us. The love that which we were first loved, we give back, right? This is crucially important. Because this is showing, this is the actual fruit of being seen, right? And all that glory... It's a fruit that we can't produce, right? Because the fruit that we are bearing is a fruit that is gifted from God. Living for God's glory and kingdom means that we show that love into a world that needs that love, right? And then he goes on, and this is kind of like an intercessory prayer that he, he wraps up in verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In verse 13. In living for the glory of God, we are going to meet spiritual resistance. It's going to happen. Because the little kingdoms that we want to build for ourselves, the enemy, or Satan, or the, the adversary, the devil, the, all those names that the Bible gives him, right? He knows exactly what footholds in our lives that kind of make that our kingdom flare up, right? And it manifests differently for everybody in this room. We may have some similar ones, but each of you guys, myself included, especially me, I know mine, right? Each of us have a little foothold in which the enemy continually likes to do. Maybe it's pride, right? Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's a scar. It's these little things. It's these little triggers. It's these little ticks that want to make us flare up and start receiving that glory for ourselves, right? So here, Jesus is being clear. He's saying, you guys, you need to pray ahead because I know you're going to mess up. You don't even know you're going to mess up yet, but you need to be praying for your future. I'm going to intercess on your behalf, right? And I'm going to be praying for you, but you need to be praying for your future. It's going to look different for everybody, but it's crucial that we need to be aware of what those footholds are. And I was very convicted about this, because I was listening to a couple of sermons, and I was listening, reading through commentary, but it was saying that prayer should not be the last resort, right? And I had found myself about four days deep into a study, and I had prayed, but I didn't pray as my first response, right? And I was very, very convicted, and so I'm humbly standing here before you guys, right? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to summarize right here. Jesus gave us this kind of model of prayer. He starts off by acknowledging and glorifying God. And in the knowledge and the glory of God, we submit ourselves to who that is, right? And then after submitting, we look to him to provide the things that only he can provide. Our Father knows best. Maybe you're in a painful season. Is God being glorified in your painful season? It's uncomfortable for you, but is God receiving glory? Are you allowing God to receive glory in your pain? Maybe you're in a really fruitful season. Maybe life's going good for you. Is God getting glory? Are you allowing God to receive the glory of the favor of the fruit that is in your life? Maybe you're praying about the next chapter, what to do next, where to go, are you glorifying God in that? Are you deciding? Are you making decisions based on the glory of God or are you making decisions based on the glory of self? The glory of comfort? Whose kingdom are you striving for in your next decision? Right? I'm going to pray the best I can to model this prayer. If you guys could pray with me. And then we're going to take this response, Right? And we're going to glorify God with it. We're going to take all this knowledge, and we're going to turn it back to where the glory deserves and the glory belongs, and that is to the name of Jesus, right? Pray with me. Father, we know a little bit of your holiness, Lord. Lord, we know that you are mighty, but our brains literally can't comprehend all of it because you're bigger than that, Lord. Lord, we know that we live in a world that is fading, Lord, but we know that your kingdom is arriving, Lord, and we know that it's gonna be forever. Lord, we know that you want the best thing for us, Lord, And the best thing for us is that you would receive glory, that you'd receive praise. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we ask that you would be gracious with us as you are already. And Lord, we ask that you would give us what we need practically, Lord. But for all of it, Lord, it would be for your glory in our lives, Lord. And if it's discomfort that we're facing, Lord, if it's it's a lack of something that we're facing, Lord, if it's for your glory, Lord, we ask that you would sustain us in this time. Father, we ask that your holiness and glory in our lives would be made known, be made great. In your name, Jesus, we pray.